0: money. Money. Uh, You know, money is not good or bad. Like, it's not moral or immoral. It's just a thing. Money just is. In fact, money is amoral. Like, it it, it, it just, it's, it's just a thing. It's not good or bad. It's, it's amoral. Now, we all know that we can get it by immoral means or we can get it by honest means. We know that we can spend it on immoral things that we shouldn't have or that we, that we shouldn't do We can be selfish with it, we can hoard it, we can pressure people with it, we can extort people with it, and come on, you know this is true, right? If you have enough of it, you can bend the rules with it. If you have enough of it. And we can spend it on really beautiful things. We can put food on the table of our families. We can uh, can give it to someone in need. We can invest it in God's work through through his church. We can support nonprofits doing king, great kingdom work in the world. We can do all kinds of, of things uh, like that. But let's be honest. Mostly, mostly, we just spend it on mindless stuff coffee and lattes and dish soap and Disney Plus and Netflix and car insurance and electricity and socks and ice cream. Right? You, you, we just spend it. And like we don't think about it, it just goes out and we just buy stuff and we just live life and we just do that. We, we just live. Well, hey, my name is Carter McInnis. I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop. And uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, it's great to, great to see you. If you're watching online, thank you so much. We're so gra- grateful to be in your living rooms or, or your back porch, wherever you're at. And the question that I want us to wrestle with today over this issue of money is this. Does money, do you have money or does money have you? I mean, do you just have some of this because it's, it's amoral? Or does money, does it have you? And, and if you don't know how to answer that question, James, the brother of Jesus, is going to help us by describing how something so Amoral can become immoral in our hands really quickly, and I just want to—I just want to tell you it's hardball. It's—it's it's t- it's tough love, and I want to share at the end some biblical principles about how we can uh, how we can avoid some of the pitfalls that James talks about, and not become the kind of people that he's describing. Now, let me have a moment of transparency, okay? I am aware of how, how tense we are all about money right now because of inflation. One thing we know is we have less of it right now, right? Or this doesn't go. This is $100, $10, bills, it doesn't go as far as it used to just months ago. So we have all felt the pinch of it. But if you live long enough, you know the economy is sometimes up and the economy is sometimes down. And right now, we're just kind of in a downtime. So I get there are pressures right now because of inflation that we're all feeling about money because we just feel like we have less of it because life costs more. Everything costs more right now. The other thing that I'm just aware of is I am aware of the baggage of ministries and money, right? I'm aware of the baggage. In fact, some of you brought a friend today, and they came to church for the first time, and you're like, oh, no, he's talking about money, Right, or you came for the first time. You've been watching online, and you're like, "Oh no, they're talking about money." Like, is that because sometimes people have this thing that that's all churches talk about? But listen, we have their ministry, and money has this baggage because we have seen churches mishandle money. Right? We've all heard stories. Maybe you've been a part of a church that's mishandled money. You have seen high-profile pastors flying on church-owned private jets. That's why we've downgraded to a helicopter here at Mountaintop. But you've. <laughs> Why do you think the roof's flat? Um, You know, listen, uh, just kidding. Uh, But we felt that. You've seen preachers get rich and then have a moral failure and they lose their position, but they don't lose their money. Like they made all this money on a lie and that is what, that baggage, and and listen, even without all that, we just squirm in our seats when preachers start talking about money, right? And that is why some pastors hate talking about money because every pastor, when they stand in the pulpit or stand on stage to talk about money, they carry with them the baggage that we've all experienced and a lot of times negative experiences about money. But I love talking about money. And the reason is because of all the sermon topics, if I teach a sermon about anxiety, well not everybody in here watching deals with anxiety. If I teach a marriage series, not everybody's married. If I teach something about fear, well, not everybody's fearful right now, but every single one of us touches this, deals with it, lives by it, lives with it, handles it every single day of our lives. Money is the most relevant thing, and Jesus talked about it all the time. And so it's just a part of our lives. I want want you to have a better answer to this question. See, I want you to have money, but I want God to have you. I want you to have money, but I want God to have you. So, James is a letter to Christians. It's just written uh, by James, the brother of Jesus, but it's so important that you know it is written to Christians. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here, so grateful that you're curious about God, that you're checking out church or you're watching, but you're kind of off the hook today. Because who James is talking to is a church, to his his followers of Jesus. And that's why it's so hard. He's talking to family. But if you read chapter 5 without knowing what comes before it, it will not make sense because he is coming in hot in verse 1 of chapter 5. And it's so important to know that because we don't read really... The original authors of the Bible didn't have chapters and verses in there. They were writing narratives. Most of the New Testament is letters. And I just want you to know, if you write me a letter with chapters, I'm not reading it. That letter's too long, (laughs) right? Most of them didn't have that. They're just narratives. So translators put the verses and put the verse and put the chapters in there so that we could reference them better but that's why this is really important chapter 5 verse 1 will not make sense if you do not know what chapter 4 says so chapter 4 kind of ends with this idea of Uh, James saying you know some of you guys have the attitude of just like we're going to live here and we're going to go there and we're going to have do business in this town and we're going to make money in this town and we're going to do this and it's this whole idea that I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I'm going to make what I'm going to make and and it's all about me and and that's kind of the idea about it and James says you are so foolish to do this because your life James says is a mist like you're born and in the context of eternity, you're, you're gone. Like your, your life is so short. My life is so short. Your, our life is a mist. And James says, you shouldn't be concerned about what I'm going to do or what I'm going to make or where I'm going to go. You should be asking, what does the Lord want from me? I should be asking, what does the Lord want of me? Because the only thing that is eternal that is a part of our lives is this connection we have to the eternal God. And then he closes chapter 4 with this really awesome statement that provides kind of the covering and the context for what we're going to read in chapter 5. He says this, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If anyone knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And speaking of what you ought to do, James will seem to say, have you thought about the good that you ought to do with your money? Have you thought about what God wants to do with your money, if you're not asking God what he wants to do with your money, what he wants you to do, well, is it possible, James James seems to say, that you don't have money? Maybe money has you. So, I told you all that context because I told you, chapter 5, verse 1, he's coming in hot. This is what it says in James 5. If you don't have a Bible um, and you won't have one to read further, take one if you're here in the room at our bookshelves when you leave. But if you've got your app open you're sitting there at home, let's open it up to chapter 5. This is what James says. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and well because of the misery that is coming on you. Well, good morning to you, James. I mean, this sounds like the opposite of how we've started, right? This sounds like James seems to be saying that this stuff is bad. I mean, it just just sounds like, whoa, that sounds negative. Maybe there is something wrong with money. Or maybe you read that and you're like, well, (laughs) that's not for me. I'm not rich. And James would probably ask, according to who? Compared to who? This really isn't about the size of our portfolio. It's, it's because the next verses remind us that it's not about how much money we have, that's the problem, it's how we view money and all of this that comes from chapter four where it's like, well, I'm gonna go here and I'm gonna make this and I'm gonna do my business and it's all about my, my, my. James says, see, that's the problem. This is what he says in the next two verses. Your wealth. Whatever your wealth is has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Well, that's heavy. James says, you have done the opposite of what my brother told you to do. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures here. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where they can't rot and where rust can't destroy. And you have spent your life, you have spent your life, which is a mist on things here that'll be destroyed. Don't you know, James seems to say, don't you know all this accumulation of money, of stuff, and you've put your whole identity in don't you know, it won't last. It won't, it won't last. It won't last one day, as Tory saying. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess and every dollar will be worthless as we cry holy, holy, holy. It won't last. It's not that being wealthy is wrong or that money itself is bad. James says the problem with these people is that they thought the accumulation of stuff is what counts. And that can be true no matter how much you have, no matter how much I have, right? James says it, the problem isn't the amount of money that we have, it's the attitude we have about our money. It, it has nothing to do with the amount you have. You're like, well, they have more than me, this is nothing, or this, they, or I have more than them, or I just want more, or I, you know, what? it has nothing to do with the amount. It is about our attitude about our money. It's about when money has us, and James says something really powerful in here. This is about identity. Their identity has become wrapped up, not in the amount they have, but just in whatever it is they have. And I love this language that he said. Did you hear what it said? That the corrosion of all that they have testifies against them. It tells a story. And that's just kind of the second question I want to ask. Today, I'm just here to ask questions. The second question I want to ask is, what story do your finances tell about your faith? If your finances testified, would it be a testimony against you or for you? What story do your finances tell about Your faith. James says for these people their their money, their accumulation, their stuff told a story. James is saying that while money just is while money is amoral, it is not neutral. It isn't neutral. I bet you can finish this sentence and here's why. Your daddy taught you this, I bet. Money doesn't Grow on trees. Did they learn that in dad school or was that? How do we all have the same dad that all told us the same thing? Money doesn't grow on trees. And while he, you know, your daddy was probably talking about, listen, you know, you, we, I can't just make it and manufacture it. The truth is, money doesn't grow on trees. There is always someone else on the other side of our money. While money is amoral, it is not neutral. It is not neutral. We are in community with other people. And money is an easy way for me to put myself first and forget that I'm in community. And James says, you may think nobody notices, but God sees right through it. Listen to how he describes it in the next verse. Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your field are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. A couple of you just elbowed your spouse and like, did you pay the yard man this month? (laughs) It's not about whether or not you paid the yard man. That's not the point. The point, James says, is is that we can't live with the attitude that it is all mine, my, and ours. We are in relationship with other people. God created one human, and you know what he said about that human when he was in perfect relationship with God, it is not good that man should be alone. And God created community. We were put on earth to be in community. Jesus came and he said, there's two great commandments. You can't just love God, that's not enough. There's another commandment just like it. We are to love our neighbors. We are meant to be communal people. Jesus came to establish a holy community, his church. We are meant to be in community uh, with each other. And money, James says, is one of the easiest ways for us to exploit our neighbor. Exploit the community. And you think politicians don't know this? Now, listen, I, I, we, have, we have local politicians that are part of our church. We're, I'm so grateful for public service. But listen, on a national level, what do they tell us every election? They're going to tax everybody but you. Right? That's the talking point every year. I'm going to raise everybody's taxes, but not yours. And you know why? They know there is something kind of corroded in our heart that says, yeah, get it from them, but not me. They know that there's something in us, in our hearts, that says, I am not in community, I'm all about me, mine, and ours. James, it says that when it comes to money, that we can be about just us, it's my money, it's my account, it is my nest egg, it is my income, it is my savings account, we can be about just us, or justice, but we can't be about both. Now justice, that's a a loaded phrase in our culture, isn't it? But the kind of justice that the kingdom of God promotes is that we are all equal sinners redeemed by God's extravagant grace. The kind of justice that the kingdom of God promotes is that one day all the wrong will be made right by the one who is just. And so because of that kind of internal and eternal justice, that if I can't can't turn a blind eye to you because if you are a brother or sister in Christ, then we are family and I have to care about you. And if you are not a brother or sister in Christ, then I have been sent on mission to love you into this kingdom of grace. There is nowhere in the kingdom way of life where I can be about just us. And there is nowhere in the kingdom way of life that my money is about just me, mine, and ours. We're about justice, community, a family. We're in this together. And you know, I'm like, we know this. Like, none of us want it to be said of us at our funeral. You know, the best thing about dad is that uh, he was really rich because he was really all about himself. You know, the best thing about mom is that she really kept all her money to herself and didn't give anything to anybody and boy, did she have a lot of it. Like, none of us want that to be said about us. What do you want it to be said about you? dad was so generous. Mom was so giving. We know that like deep down in our heart, that's what we want to be said about us. James says followers of Jesus are about justice. Even when it comes to our money, we are about community, about God's kingdom. Because it's, it's amoral, but it's not neutral. If anybody knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, well for them, what did James say? That's sin. If you know there's some good that you ought to be doing with your money, you don't do it, I don't do it, well, it sort of feels like we're being about just us. And James says that's, that's not who we are as Christ followers. Listen to the last verse. You have lived on earth in luxury, and this is the key phrase, and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Well, that's intense. All of this is hardball. Like sheep going to slaughter. You won't take it with you, James. Why? Because it won't last. It won't last. And you may be a little fatter in the pocketbook. Right? You may be a little more plump in your purse, but you'll go to the same place. Your life is a mist, and it won't last, and you'll have built your life on something that rots and moths destroy. James would seem to be asking them, hey guys, listen, do you have money? Because it sure sounds like money has you. Now, here's what I think I know about you. I know I know this about me. Here's what I think I know about you. Like, you don't want to be that kind of person that James is talking about. I don't want to be the kind of person that James is talking about. I don't want to be remotely close to the kind of person that he is describing in James 5. Like, we may not be rich, but we don't want to be people who are all about just us. We don't want to be people who are self-indulgent. We don't want to be people who have our identity wrapped up in our income. But I have a theory. I have a theory. And I believe that the gravitational pull of our culture will pull us toward money having us instead of us having money. The gravitational pull of our culture will pull us toward financial selfishness instead of selflessness because every commercial, every product will be geared to tell you it's what you need, what you gotta have. what. And so which direction are you being pulled? And there's an easy way to know and I asked the question earlier, but let me come back to it. There's an easy way to know which direction. Are you being pulled into kind of the direction of the kind of person that you want to be or the kind of person that's described in James 5? Is what story do your finances tell about your faith? Because they tell a story. Our finances tell a story about what's important to us. I mean, if you just would go down your ledger sheet, and there used to be a day that we would actually write down all our expenses in that little checkbook thing. Y'all remember that? There might be some people that still do that, but now it's all digital. And there'd be some things on there that you and I would all share because they are important to us. Housing would be a big line item on our finances, right? Because we all believe in living indoors and air-conditioned. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We all believe that. If you didn't think it was important, you're like, I live outside. We believe air is important. So that's important. You, you would, transportation is a big part, and holy smokes, it's been bigger the last few months because of the price of gas, right? But you gotta live, you gotta get from A to B. You gotta get to school, you gotta get to work. That's part of it. Uh, insurance would be a part of it. Car insurance, house insurance, health insurance. Those are really important things we almost all gotta have. We would say they are important. Food is important. So there are some, like I would call some core things that are part of our finances, that story that tell you. you could look at any of our finances and go, yep, housing, food, insurance, transportation. You can tell that's important to them, but there'd probably be some other things too, right? Movies, music, streaming subscriptions, sports, entertainment, clothes, hobbies, eating out. And none of those things are bad because there would be some of those that would be listed in your finances and that would would tell your story that wouldn't be on mine and I would have some that wouldn't be on yours that tell the story. But would we say like, oh, God is so important to me. My faith is so important to me. Was that the story? Is that the story that your finances tell about your faith? Or we would say like, oh, my church is so important to me. I love my church. I love my church family. Oh, is that the story? is that the story that your finances tell about your faith i'm in year 23 of ministry which blows my mind i've been doing this for a long time since i was 10 Um, and uh, throughout the years i've always had people come and tell me and it's almost like they just want me to know they're like you know well i don't I, i don't Uh, I give to lots of different charities just besides the church and I don't give it all to the church or I don't think you have to tithe to the church to be a good Christian. And they always tell this and here's what I just always want to say to all of them. Listen, I promise you this. When it is all said and done, you are not going to have to stand before me to tell your story about your finances and your faith. But when it is all said and done and you get to tell your story and God gets to go through your checkbook what story do your finances tell about your faith? Because they, they tell a story. James was writing to Christians who had said they had given Jesus their heart. But their finances told a different story about their heart. So, I, I just want to leave you with one way, one question to maybe ask to avoid being the kind of person that James five is talking about because I think we all agree none of us wanna be. And here's the question. Do you have a plan to honor God with your money? Like, do you have a plan Do you have a plan to do what Jesus said instead of what his brother James observed? Do you have a plan to do what Jesus said to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth that rot and corrode? Or are you just like hoping it happens? Because here's what I know about generous people, they have a plan. Generous people have planned to be generous and here's one idea from the apostle Paul about how to counteract this gravitational pull that James talks about, that the world gives us. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16.2, it's just one verse, and if you would set this up as your financial faith plan, it could and would change your life. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And I love this, this word, set aside, saving it up. It is the same word that Jesus used when he said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. It is the same word with, that James used when he said, you have stored up treasures on earth. It is the same word. And Paul is saying, each of you, on the first day of the week, if you will store up, set aside, save up in keeping with your income. And I love that because you're like, well, I don't make it. Paul says, "I'm not, I'm not concerned with how you make. It's going to look different for everybody. Mine's going to look different than yours. yours is yours going to look different than somebody sitting over here? And it's going to look different for somebody sitting over here. And then Paul says, "So that when I when I come, no collections will have to be made." Paul says, "When we have church together, we don't have to take up the offering because we'll have all, we'll have already put it in the box before we even the band start cranked up. We will have set it aside." Already, we will have already stored it up. So what I want to ask you to consider, I want to ask you to consider is doing exactly what Paul said. Maybe it's not the first day of the week, but maybe it's the first day after you get paid. And what Paul is talking about is something called percentage giving. What he's saying is in keeping with your income, so your percentage is going to look different than mine. And I would love to challenge you to think about setting aside what the Bible calls a tithe, 10%. Like I've got, for every $100 I make, I'm gonna set aside 10. Now this is a goal, not an ideal. Some of you may say like, whoa, that's a big chunk. Okay, what percentage could you start? Could you start at 2%? percent you would never given before, could you do 5? Could you do 7%? Whatever it is, I want you to just think about that it's an ideal and and i'm going- what this says is i'm going to make God a priority in my finances, so I don't have to worry about it when the offering comes of like how much should I give, should we give, how much is enough i've already done it I've already made it. This is why I love online recurring giving that's what Emily and I do we would like it's just it's gone before we can spend it. We have set it aside digitally for God. It's such an easy way for us. Now, I know what some people would do. Some people going to say, listen, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to do that. And you know why you say that? Because you're good at math. You're like, I don't know that I'm good at math. No, no you're good at math. Because it makes zero sense because you're like, okay, I'm living life on 100% of my income. And Carter, I'm not the best at math, but I'm good enough to know that living life on 90% of my income, yeah, that's not good math. I know 100% is better, right? Because the truth is, the problem is, most of us are living a lifestyle, not on 100% of our income, but like 110% of our income. Right, we're, we make 10 of these, but we're living on 11 of these. So we're having to pay off with this, a lifestyle, on 11. So you're good at math. But here's what I would tell you. And you're like, how can I do this? How can I give one to God and live on nine of these? There's just no way that that makes work. You know what? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. It does not make sense, but you got to have to ask yourself, are you willing to trust God with something that does not make sense? In all your ways, acknowledge him, even your money. And can I tell you something, because I love you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, because I love you, there are people There are people in this room watching online who have the same income as you or make less than you who have made the decision to tithe because they have made a different decision about their lifestyle. When most often, what we do is live a lifestyle on this, and then we've got this, and I got the house, and the car, and the gas, and the eating out, and let's go see two movies this week, and tickets to the ball game, and the concert, and then we got to buy new shoes, and it's back to school, and all those fees. I thought we went to public schools, but we got fees anyway. I just wasn't on anything left to give. Because the gravitational pull will be for you to live a lifestyle that is all about you, all about me. And I know myself well enough that if I do not give God off the top, then I'll just live a lifestyle. This, this is, let me, can, can I tell you one of my plans? I told you we have recurring gifts, but so I do, you know, occasionally do a wedding and people will pay me to do a wedding. And this is a part of my plan. So that's like, how do I do this? We have like this recurring gift going out of our, our account right after we get paid, it's the same every month. I get in my truck after the wedding and I immediately Venmo the church 10% of whatever they just paid me. You know why? Because I know if I cash that check or deposit that check and I don't give it to God off the top, it is going to magically turn into cheeseburgers. <laughs> I'm just gonna spend it. And like, oh shoot, did I do that? Did I give that? I just didn't do it, and I don't want to be that kind of person. I I, I want to create a kind of lifestyle, the lifestyle, because one of the problems that happens is that if I live a lifestyle that is all on me, that sounds like a lifestyle that's about just us, and I don't think it's an accident that in a book of hard, tough love teaching that James finishes it up by talking about the subtle pull of money. The subtle pull of money. Our feelings about this can derail our faith and I just want to encourage you today. What would it look like for you to surrender this to Jesus? And I want to make a bold claim. I want to make a bold claim. If you want let God into your money, then there will be a spiritual lid to your life. And I will not be able to help you grow, and our church will not be able to help you grow if you do not let God into your money. There will just be a lid that you can't grow past. And on a Sunday that, in which we have serve team signups, the same is true of our time. If our attitude about our faith is, God, you can have everything. You can have my heart. You can have my life, whatever those things mean, because they are so, like, subjective, right? They are so out there. You have my heart. You have my life. You've got my soul. But, God, you will not get my money, and you will not have my time. Well, I don't know about you, but that begins to sound a lot like a faith that is pretty self-indulgent and there are some folks, there's some folks who are spiritually stuck and it is not because you do not know enough about God and it is not because you need to go to one more Bible study. It is because you need to invite the God of the universe into your money and into your time because there will be a spiritual lid to how far you can grow until you trust a God by giving him a few hours and giving him a percentage of your income and watch what he does when it doesn't make sense. You see, I want to see what God will just do in me if I'll give him my money and time and I want you to see what God will do in you and for you if you will just surrender what was already his in the first place because our money and our time it's just a mist so three questions and then we're going to let you go do you have money Where does money have you? What story do your finances tell about your faith? What story do you want them to tell? And do you have a plan to honor God with your money? Today is a great day to start. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your plan to save us thank you for your plan to send your only son Jesus to give us his very life to redeem our souls, forgive our sins, restore our image in you and give us freedom over sin and death and victory for eternity because of your resurrection God can I just tell you that was an awesome plan Lord help us Help us then to have a plan for how to honor a God who gave us his son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, we're just gonna let you go, but first...